Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Last week we started a, a new message series and uh, called One Minute uh, Into Eternity, One Minute Into Eternity, and today I want to talk to you about something that it might be a little challenging, but it's okay because it's supposed to be a little challenging. And I want to talk to you today about the righteousness of a holy God and also the indescribable horrors of hell. Honestly, I personally, I, I don't count it any joy speaking about hell. But it's one of those subjects that we need to talk about. And why do we need to talk about the reality of hell? Because if we don't accept the reality of hell, we'll never fully accept or appreciate the love and mercy of Jesus. Another reason why we need to talk about the reality of hell is this. Because what we believe about e eternity will determine how we live today. So what we believe about eternity will determine how we live today. So if we truly believe that we'll live somewhere eternally, if we believe, if we truly believe we'll stand before the judgment of God, if we, if we truly believe there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, what, what we believe about eternity will determine how we live today. If we don't fully understand the realities of heaven and hell, if we don't fully understand that mankind is completely lost and in need of redemption, most likely we won't live our lives from an eternal perspective. And that is so important that we live our lives from an eternal perspective instead of a self-centered perspective. What we believe about eternity will determine how we live today. I was looking at some stats, and did you know, and they, and they vary, uh, but about 74% of Americans believe in heaven. 74%, but only about 40% believe those who do not know Christ will spend eternity in a place called hell. And if you ask the general public, who's going to hell? This, is, this, this stat is just, is just amazing. When you ask the general public that question, who's going to hell? It's only one half of 1% say they are most likely going to hell. One half of 1%. In other words, most people believe they're not going to hell, but they believe hell is for people who are murderers, rapists, terrorists, and, and the sort, because God would never send a good person to hell. But the Bible says something different. Jesus says something completely different. I want you to pay attention to these words here that he shares with us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Look what Jesus says. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. According to the words of Jesus, many, many lives will end in destruction, and unfortunately this means hell is not the exception. If I were the devil, I would try to convince people of this, that we shouldn't fear hell, that hell is not real, or we shouldn't take it too seriously because most people are going to heaven. And if I were the devil, I'd try to convince you that uh, how you live your life, you could live it however you wanted. If I were the devil, I would say you, would, you could just go ahead and justify your sin, reject Christ, or never live your life in the fear of God because not very many people are going to hell. If I were the devil, I would try to convince you that hell isn't real, it's irrelevant, so that you would live self-centered lives. So that you would idolize comfort and fall in love with this world. So that you would reject sacrifice 
and avoid persecution so that you'd love and be devoted to what is here and now. And as a result, you would most, not, most likely not share your faith with other people because there would be no sense of urgency because not many people are going to hell, so why is there such an urgency then to share Christ? This raises an obvious question when we talk about hell. If God is so good and he's so loving, why does hell exist? If God is so good and he's so loving, why does hell exist? And that's a fair question. Anybody who, who, who confronts us with the, the reality of hell, we shouldn't shrink back from it when they ask questions that are really good questions. How could a good God, a loving God, why would he allow hell to exist? And let's keep it simple. We're going to focus on two reasons from Scripture. And number one is this. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with the devil. For many of us, when we think of the devil, we tend to think of some guy in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork. But that's not the reality of who Satan is. The reality of Satan, who Satan is, is this. Satan embodies all evil. He is the embodiment of evil. Behind every spiritual attack is our spiritual enemy. Behind all abuse, all fear, all pain, all shame, it all comes from the prince of darkness. The devil is referred in the Bible as the following. He is the destroyer. He is the deceiver. He is the dragon. He is our adversary. He is our tempter, our enemy, the wicked one, the father of lies, the angel of the abyss, the thief that comes to steal your joy, to kill your faith, to destroy your health, and to ruin you financially. Satan embodies all evil, and there is no light within him. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with the devil. Look at Revelation 20.10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. In the end, praise God, Jesus will deal righteously with the devil and will cast him into the lake of fire. And that's one reason why hell exists. Number two, hell exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with with unbelievers. And this is where things kind of get complicated for some people. It's easy for most people to understand that hell was created for Satan, for God to deal righteously with Satan. But we have a much harder time understanding the impact that hell will have on mankind. And many, many people would say this, it just doesn't seem fair for good people to go to hell. It just doesn't seem fair for that to happen. How could God send my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus how could, my, how could God send my neighbor who's a good person They help me out? They're there anytime I need them. How could God send that person to hell? We're going to circle back to that, that thought in just a moment. But what I find interesting with that rationale is this. Almost everybody who argues against the idea of, of good people going to hell are usually very indignant when it comes to injustice. In other words, if there's some type of injustice, most people say this. Somebody should pay for that crime. Someone should pay for that crime. If you hurt somebody, you should pay for that injustice. And yet the very same people who are defenders of justice on earth often argue for a God of love and mercy and grace without any justice. That there, there's a major problem that exists for many of us that are here today. We try to make, remake God into our own image and into our own likeness in order to justify our, our lifestyles and our ideas. 
Here's how we often justify ourselves. God is love, correct? I mean, we'll say God is love. So in essence, we, we believe that God kind of gives us a little wink towards our sin. He's okay with it. I mean, he understands, right? I mean, he's holy, he's righteous and everything, but he's okay with us as long as we're not hurting anybody. See, we, we often try to make God in our own image and likeness. And here's what we have to understand, and please hear this. It is impossible for a holy God for God to be holy and without him being just. It's impossible for God to be holy without him also being just. God is good. He cannot become better. Uh, God is holy. He cannot become pure. God is just, and he cannot turn a blind eye towards any injustice. It's who he is. God is immutable. He does not change. He is a just God. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with the devil and for those who are dead in their sin and do not know Christ. Where, where do we get that from? Well, let's look what the Bible says. Let's just take one verse, for instance. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of, the Lord, of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Church, we either believe the Bible to be God's word or we don't. And I don't think there's any gray areas in the scripture. It's very clear. But if we don't accept the reality of hell, we'll never truly appreciate the gospel of Jesus and the goodness of our God. Let's do this. Let's take a little glimpse into hell because I think scripture gives us some great examples. And uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 16. Jesus shares a story and we we believe it's a story rather than a parable because there are some specific things that are involved in the story. It's not referred to as a parable. So let's look at Luke chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. So when you, when you read this story, immediately something stands out. Purple often um, displays royalty. So we, we've got a guy who is very rich. And if you had any type of clothing that was purple. It was infused with a dye that was very expensive, very rare. So to have clothing that was purple in those days meant that you had some fat cash. So you're, you're very rich, and it's often said of this, people who, who wore fine linen, that fine linen was, was so valuable that you could often buy food for a person for an entire year. That's how valuable fine linen was. So when we, when we look at this man, we're, just, we're seeing someone who is just crazy rich, and don't get thrown off by the story. There, Jesus is making a point with the story. It's not a sin to be rich, correct? It's, it's the love of money that's the difference, but that's not even the subject matter here. The subject matter is the realities of hell. So let's go down to verses 20 through 21. At his gate, at this rich man's gate, was, a, was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even dogs came and licked his sores. And just for a note, um, this Lazarus is not the same Lazarus whom Jesus raises from the dead. It's not the same Lazarus. This Lazarus is a poor, destitute baker. And he longs for the—he's so hungry. He, he needs food so badly that he would just—he would think it would be a blessing if he could just eat the crumbs that falls off this rich man's table. Let's go down to verses 22 and 23. The time came— when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, the rich man also died and was buried. 
in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far off with Lazarus by his side. So Lazarus dies, his soul goes to, to Abraham's side, which is in fact heaven. Uh, the rich man dies and he goes to Hades and he is there in torment. Now Hades is, is a Greek word and it it's also has a, an old, it's a, it's a Greek word that we use in the, old, in the New Testament, excuse me. So Hades is a Greek word that's used in the New Testament, but there's a counterpart to that in the Old Testament and it's the Hebrew word Sheol. So when you look at Hades and Sheol, it's, it's the same place. It's the same, it's the same uh, place, but just different words. One's Greek in origin, one's Hebrew in, in origin. So if you're reading through the scriptures and you come through the trans, different translations, you may see Hades and you may see Sheol. But it's the same place. Hades and Sheol are the same. However, Hades and Sheol are not the same as hell. Okay, Hades and Sheol are not the same as hell. So what is Hades? Hades evidently was a temporary place for those for life after earth or life after you died and before the judgment, people who were without Christ would go there. And to help you understand this, if you get kind of confused by this, if you see this verse, it'll make perfect sense. All right, Revelation 20, 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. So Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. When you think of hell, we often think of the lake of fire, correct? We think of the burning, and which takes place after the judgment. So Hades was a temporary place where those without Christ would go, and it is a place where you and I don't want to be. So let's go down to verses 24 through 26. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and said, Lazarus, to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in an agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us, you, and between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from to there to us. So the rich man's in Hades in torment, and he sees Lazarus with Abraham. And when we read through that, again, we see this, this chasm that cannot be bridged. There, there's, there's some type of gap between the two. And uh, I have to mention this here. Because I mentioned this last week, I think this is a great place to mention it here. Remember this, for the Christian, for those who are born again, when you die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So for the born-again believer, since Jesus has died and resurrected, for the believer, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the soul of the born-again believer does not sleep, nor does it go to an alternative place. Scripture is clear, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. However, for those who are without Christ, to be absent from the body is the beginning of suffering. And hell is referenced throughout the Bible as a fiery furnace, as a place that is described where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell appears to be a place of isolation. It's often called the outer darkness. So there is no light, and there certainly is no hope. Look at Revelation 21.8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery, fiery lake burning with sulfur. This is the second death. So hell is a place of darkness, 
and a place of torment. The Greek word that's translated as hell is the Greek word Gehenna. And, it's a, it's, and Jesus uses this word because it's a real place. Now, we understand hell is a real place, but often as it is throughout the Bible, they'll take locations or settings which are, a, they represent a spiritual place. So the Valley of, of Hinnom is a place, a real place that you can go to today. And uh, it, was, it was used multiple times. Jesus used this word in description of hell several times throughout Scripture. And it was a place south of Jerusalem where they would burn uh, waste and sewage and flesh. And out, the fire outside of the city contend, burn, continued to burn continually. Uh, they would throw dead animals they would throw the bodies of criminals, and they would throw human waste into this fire. And the fire was always smoldering. There was maggots, there was worms, there was burning flesh. So obviously the smell was beyond sickening. So what is hell? Hell is a nonstop eternal fire with torturous suffering and unending pain. It's not a place where we want to be. And it's a place where we shouldn't want anyone to be. One Bible commentary calls hell this, a land of no more good, there's no more beauty, no laughter, no peace, no friendship, no joy, no hope, and certainly no more second chances. Again, I know this is a heavy subject, but to truly appreciate heaven, to truly appreciate the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus, you have to discuss the realities of hell. And that's why the rich man cries out from Hades, and this is what he says. Let's go back to the story, Luke chapter 16, verses 27 through 28. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him, let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. When we read the story about Lazarus and the, the rich man, I, I see four lessons that stand out from the story. Number one is this. People in hell are fully conscious and aware. I know that some people like to say in hell there's an annihilation of the soul, you just are no more, but clearly from the story and clearly throughout Scripture we see that as the opposite. I know that's hard for us to understand, it's hard for us to, to take in, but it's the reality of God's Word. Remember, we can't reshape the Word or God into our own image and likeness. It's either God's Word, it's His revelation of Himself and of truth, or it's not. So we fully believe that this is God's Word. So we take it at face value. So people in hell are fully conscious and aware. And again, that's why I say this. There, hell is no joking matter. It is the most serious matter. The rich man has a memory of what's going on in hell. He is consciously aware of what he did do and what he didn't do. He is experiencing pain. But the worst pain, I believe, the worst pain you'll ever experience in hell is this. Regret. The, the pain of regret. The pain that he's not able to go and make things right. The pain of not being able to go back to his family and warn his family of what was about to take place if they didn't change course. Number two, hell in hell people are irrevocably fixed. So they're forever fixed. The rich man realizes there was nothing he could do to change where he was. Notice he also recognizes that this will happen to those who are like him, who do not change course. Hell has no exits. Number three, people in hell are aware of their guilt. If you'll notice from the story, Jesus shares the rich man never, he never complained about injustice. He never complains, you know, this, why am I here? It's no shock to him. The rich man says this hurts, it's bad, but he never says, God, this isn't fair. 
when, you, when you're in hell, there's a full realization of your guilt and shame. There's nowhere for it to ha- hide. You know, isn't it amazing how we make mistakes or we fall short? We try to, to, to sell them differently or just pretend they don't exist or tell another lie to cover it. That's going to be completely removed. Before a holy God, you're going to know it, and there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. The truth is just fully exposed. There's no denying it. And that's what you see here in this man. He doesn't say this isn't fair. And evidently he comes to that realization that I'm guilty of what I've done. That I'm here on, for a reason. So he just come to accept his judgment, even though it was very painful. And number four, people in hell are filled with hopeless regret. Luke 16, verses 29 through 31. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And how true that is even to this day. The rich man begs, please, somebody go back. Tell my brothers. Tell them about the goodness of God. Tell them about the grace of God. Tell them about the forgiveness that is available to them. But the Bible says there are many people who are traveling down this wide road. A wide road that leads to destruction. And at the end of their journey, there will be regret. They'll they'll forever remember for themselves what was offered to them in this life. A way of escape. Some will think, you know, I just, I thought I was okay going over in their minds, but the reality of their guilt and shame will be before them always. So why are we talking about something that's so difficult, so weighty, so hard to digest? Because again, what we believe about eternity impacts how we live our lives today. I absolutely, I just, I despise when people say this, and it just, when they use these words so flippantly, go to hell. I hope that person rots in hell. Here's what that tells me. It tells me this, that this person doesn't truly fully understand the reality of hell or their words exposing their own heart of their callousness and their coldness. And if they don't change course, they too are going to find themselves going down a wide path towards destruction. If I were the devil, I would try to convince you that hell is not real or it's nothing to be concerned about. I would tell you that nobody really goes to hell and not to worry about hell. If I was a devil and I could convince you to believe this, you could easily just live for the day. Hell's not a big problem. You could just live for the day. Do whatever you want. Justify your sin. Reject Jesus. Live with no fear of God. Just be a good person. If I was a devil and you were a Christian, I could put eternity in the back of your mind and convince you not to take hell seriously, then you would live self-centered lives. You would idolize comfort. You would reject sacrifice. You would avoid persecution. You would fall in love with this world and believe it all doesn't really matter. All you would really think that matters is what's here and what's now. And you would never really share your faith with anyone because, again, there would be no motivation because people really don't go to hell. I don't know if I want to believe... a God that, that does this then. That's what some might say. Well, I, I really don't want to believe in a God who would actually allow people to go to hell. And there's, there's often a fundamental breakdown here with that argument. And I've heard it many times, even in, in, in churches where I just I have a hard time believing that anyone will truly go to hell or, and, and be there. In fact, this, this may be the number one problem and misbelief about 
about our nature and the nature of God. Because God doesn't send good people to hell. Here's what we have to understand. Please hear me on this. Inherently by nature, we are not good people. We are not good people. I know that goes against everything our culture tells us. And maybe what we've been taught in school, or, 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 but it goes against the teaching of God's word. We are not inherently good. We are, we are just the opposite. Look what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. Either God's word's true or it's not, church. And I know sometimes it comes to in conflict what we believe. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our culture teaches us that so-and-so is a good person, but they aren't. Here's why. We lie. We cheat. We steal. We do a number of things that are contrary to God's word. You know, we talked about gossip a couple of weeks ago. And we like to say, well, there are certain abominations before God. But if you gossip and you sow discord with a brother, it's an abomination in God's sight. We're, we are not good people. We are, we are not. Look what John writes. 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, no, not one. Just for a moment, if we could stand before the holiness of God, we will fully recognize at that moment what we are in God's sight. When we stand before a holy God, we will recognize the depth of our own wickedness, and we are not inherently good people. We all have a sin nature that is bent towards sin. We all have to, you listen, give me an example. You don't have to teach a toddler certain things. You don't have to teach a toddler how to sin. My kids, I didn't, Jenny didn't have to role play with them. All right, today we're going to learn how to be selfish. So I'm going to give you a toy, and I'm going to take it away from you, and you say, mine. You don't have to teach a young person how to be selfish, amen? You don't have to explain to them. Why? Because we're all sinful from birth, and we all desperately need redemption, because we have a heart that is bent towards evil, and it must change, and that's why we must be born again. God has revealed himself to mankind and throughout the Bible as holy, as righteous, and pure, and that will not change. Yes, he's a God of love, but he's also a God of judgment, and that will not change. Therefore, God cannot be holy without being just. And because he is just, he must punish all wrongdoing. I'm going to say that one more time. Therefore, God cannot be holy without being just. And because he is just, he must punish wrongdoing. He has to. It's according to his nature. And his nature doesn't change. God is love. Love is not what he does. Love is who he is. Love is who he is and I want you to hear some verses, and I want you to hear them like never before. In light of all this, I want you to really take them in, because we do serve a loving God, a holy God, and a just God. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Praise God for that. Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death. And death is eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death is what we all deserve, and we'll all suffer death. 
Unless Jesus comes first and raptures us away, we will all suffer death. The consequences of sin is death. But the gift of God, the goodness of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. How did God show us his love? God showed us his great love by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While, and listen, we were all born enemies of God. God sent Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we, while we were in, enemies of God, while we rejected him, while we didn't know about him. And since we've been ra- made right in God's sight by the blood of Jesus, he will certainly save us from condemnation. What did Jesus' death and resurrection do? It paid the price for our sins. And it satisfied justice. And simultaneously, it displayed his grace and his love. God desires that none perish, right? The Bible is very clear. His desire is that none perish, but all come to repentance. All come to repentance. It's the only way. Our faith, our faith connects us to the grace of God, but that faith requires a rejection of this world, a rejection of sin. It's not a, just a turning to, but it's a turning, a turning from, but a turning to. We turn away from our sin, we turn away from our life of sin, and we turn to Jesus. Repentance is a change of heart, mind, and direction. It's not just say, God, forgive me of my sins. It goes beyond that. Is there forgiveness for our sins? Yes, but there's a requirement of repentance. And God's desire is that none should perish, but all come to repentance. All experience the grace, the mercy, and the love of God that is available. Christ didn't come for the perfect. He came for sinners. Christ didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. Remember this. Satan is a liar, church. How do you know when he's lying? When his mouth is running. Scripture says this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come to give them life and life more abundantly. Choose life. Choose Jesus. So why do we need to talk about hell? Because what we believe about eternity affects how we live today. And if we don't understand the horrors of hell, we'll never fully appreciate the grace of God manifested through Christ. Are you living for today, or are you living your light in the light of eternity? In light of the realities of hell explained through the scriptures, I want everyone to, to give consideration to the following. First, If today was your last day on earth, where would you be tomorrow in eternity? Secondly, if today was your last day on earth, or if this was the last day on earth for you or your neighbor, where will they be in eternity? The pain and the torment of hell is real, but the pain of regret and hopelessness will be the hardest to deal with because people are fully conscious and aware in hell. They'll wish they would have or could have turned to Christ when they should have. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.